Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Got Renee Paradise here. Renee. Greetings from Paradise. Greetings from Paradise. Maybe let's bring down that surf just a little bit. We'll keep it going a little bit. Oh, it's really cranking today. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, the tide's in. The tide's in. We're on the hammock. Ah, it's a good day. Uh, good news is they're sailing today at the beach shack. Uh, the barbecue is on. The hammock is ready. Uh, we're putting... Uh, well, actually, we're not really putting uh, Ben Shuri in the hammock because I've left the island... <laughs> to go and see him. We do have an interview with Ben Shuri, um, he of Attica. Um, possibly a... Um, how would you describe Ben? Well, iconoclastic, a um, bit of a maverick, uh, a man who goes to his own tune and in order to save Attica, he's needed to diversify. And um, I've gone to Ben Shuri's summer camp up near Seville. Get that right. Don't come up there and say, I'm really enjoying being in Seville. You'll find out why in a two-part interview that we do in the show. Uh, and then we'll also be speaking with the redoubtable Sebastian Rayborn from Detroit. Uh, actually, no, we're inviting him into the island. We're going to allude to that. He's, uh, of course, from Anthogen down there at the old Federal Mills in Geelong. If you're around there, it's worth a visit. Dorothy Dixa, question for Renee. Do you like gin? Yes. Yeah. I really <laughs> like gin, yes. And it's not always maybe because it's come into vogue a little bit over mm. the last couple of years. Oh, so you're not, you're not driven by trends, is that what you're saying? Well, not normally, but mm. I, think, I guess when something's at eye level mm. <laughs> every day. It's like, I like. I can't help. I can't resist. So yes, I do like, and I try and support lots of local gins and local distillers. Oh well, mm. we're going to talk to uh, Seb about the history of gin because it's uh, it's quite a story. It really, really is. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of that. Um, I was over at uh, Ben Shuri's summer camp. If you want to get a little preview of that, see some photos. Um, I seem to have actually scooped the pools. I'm normally sort of following. Um, a lot of food journos and things like that, but he just opened and I managed to wander in. So if you want to have some a look at the place, uh, Cam Smith, eat it on the Instas. Cam Smith, eat it. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. You're in the beach shack. It's a warm day today. We've got our sunscreen on because you've got to be protected out there. And the good news is that, uh, as we said before, the sailing is on today. I did head inland from the beach shack. I took a boat, got to the mainland, headed up to the hills to Seville. And um, I saw the redoubtable, the incredible Ben Shuri in his new venture, which is called uh, the... Uh, Attica summer camp, and uh, I thought I'd catch up with him. And uh, the very first question that um, I asked him, of course, was 
Uh, hey, where are we? To which she answered, Cam, we're, uh, we're in Attica Summer Camp. We're in bucolic heaven. <laughs> in the Arrow Valley, in mm. Seville. Not Seville. No. Seville. Seville, mate. Yep. Said like reservoir. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Don't say it wrong. Don't say it wrong or you'll be asked to leave and you won't even be able to get one of these delicious Frieslings. Yeah, that's right. You won't you won't get a freezing from me if you don't say several correctly. So you got I'm that right. Here now. Yeah, yeah. We're on a we're on a vineyard site, actually just past Seville, between Seville and Warialik in the Arab Valley, about yeah. one hour from Melbourne. Beautiful view, unbelievable oh. view. And I've deliberately not told anybody about the view because I just wanted people to come. Yeah, because I've. You know, I've never had the opportunity to run a restaurant that had a view. I mean, Riven Lee doesn't have much of a view, Cam. No. <laughs> um, during COVID, it was so hard, and you know, and, and I was looking for how how do I like you know I'm an entrepreneur and I like and I'm really driven and I and I was looking for ways of surviving. And, and I was going to say a survivalist too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, yeah. but that is the kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I think you know the, they say that like. Um, you know the, the difference between like a, a failed sort of entrepreneurial uh, venture um, and one that succeeds is that the entrepreneur just stops trying. You've got to keep going. I mean, what else can you do? Like you, you know, there's nothing else to do. Um, no, no. So I was making this plan. You know, in the lockdown, um, I was looking at sites out here where we could come for summer. And uh, did you do all the um, the recce's on the locations? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Mac Forbes, uh, great mate, great winemaker. And, um, yeah, Mac was completely instrumental uh, in us coming to the Arab Valley. We could have gone to other places. We could have gone to the Monte Peninsula. We could have gone to Mount Massenden. But we really wanted to go to the Arab Valley, and we wanted to come to this part of the Arab Valley. It's the upper yeah. Arab Valley that we're in. Yes. And it's a bit underrated. Um, and we're, we have great neighbours right here, several estate just above us, which is a fantastic vineyard and restaurant. And there's nice people around us. We, we felt wanted here from the start, and we didn't want to come out to the country and be these city hotshots. Um, mm. You know, I'm a country person. Never been your style. Not my style. No. Don't want to be a jerk. No. Uh, not interested in jerk behaviour. Don't be a dick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No dick yeah. behaviour. Yes. Thank you, Cam. Yes. That's, a, that's definitely my prerogative. Yeah. I've got to say, I have to have a, have to have a little break from talking right now because um, this delicious glass of Friesling that I'm, uh, that I'm enjoying was calling my name, Cam. Well, look, you can have another sip of it and I'll have another sip, but this is... Um, I was saying actually to Ben that... Uh, it's a dangerous drink because um, it's uh, it's riesling in a um, in a slushy machine. Max Forbes riesling in a, in a slushy machine. Thank you very much, but made even more special with a little bit of peach magic from marionette. Oh, how good a marionette! <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be very when you do come here, be very wary of that because um, you might just find after the fourth one. As we say, the ground coming crashing towards you. Ah, but you know you can you can you can you can, you can ease the edge off by uh, mm. ordering a, a beautiful food. of things yeah. from yeah. the huge, mm. humongous, biggest, greatest, very much in the American sense, bigger, 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 better. Yeah, charcoal grills that we've installed. This we, thing is huge. Well, we didn't just install one. We, why would you just install one can when you can mm. install two huge charcoal rotisseries? One of them is three-tier, the other is two-tier. Absolutely enormous. And why would you just have two charcoal rotisseries when you can have a huge barrel smoker as well? But stop, there's more. Because this is the great thing that must be so liberating about finding this spot, working your ass off to develop it, and I want to get on to that. But the great thing about this, there is place to put the elbows out. You've got room here. 
yeah, as we, opposed to Rip and Lee. We built a huge kitchen here. Like yeah. the, you've got to understand, the site um, there wasn't anything here. Um, I would describe this place as having good bones. Uh, it, oh, yeah. The buildings, two hexagonal buildings, an indoor dining room, the other an outdoor dining room with a roof, and then a big shed behind it, a winery. And mm. so we have space. We have the whole space. So we've built an enormous kitchen, like just. You know, probably ten times the size of the Attica kitchen, at least. It's like some giant caterer's kitchen, <laughs> is you know, exactly in the like in the bowels of the MCG yeah, or something. Certainly, is it straight out of the MCG? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we'll be making lasagna for ten thousand before hey! you know it. Yeah, for oh. everyone. Yeah, well, Australia <laughs> for my friends. Lasagna yeah. for my friends. Yeah. Uh, those that have listened to us speak over the years will know about uh, Ben's great love of lasagna. So you found this place. It's saying to you. And you thought, I've got some like-minded individuals, this is great. But then, bloody hell, you've worked your ass off with the nail bag on. Tell us, what, what have you built and created? Well, well to be clear, when I, when I found this place, I could see its potential, but it was pretty rough. Mm. Um, and everybody told me, except for Kylie and probably Mac, uh, that it was a ridiculous idea. They told me not to do it, that I was being foolish. And, Thank um, God for those two. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, I think oftentimes I've found um, when you're onto something good, a lot of people won't like it. Like, that's, that's, a, that's for real. Um, mm-hmm. And so definitely along the way you do face challenges. Um, sometimes people are, like, really just reluctant to change. And, and I found myself also probably fitting into a pretty uh, small shoebox as well you know in time and i just well just because what is the shoebox you you speak of it's called attica you know (laughs) so that literally is a shoebox but also also, creatively it's you know it's a very specific thing and i've been doing it for 15 years Mm. and that that is what people expect from me and um there's there's wood built around it and they're dovetail joints and they're beautiful but you can't break from that that wood no and you push and you pull and you do all kinds of things that we have over the years and and we've broken a lot of rules in restaurants and broken down a lot of barriers in restaurants but but ultimately you know that's a different that's this different type of thing and i think one of the interesting things i've learned uh, you know in covid was just what a um, demand and and what gratitude there was for us cooking you know meals from $30 per person to, to take away. And um, yeah. that's kind of stuck with me and that's been kind of really refreshing. And so that's kind of where I've come from, you know, when I've planned this place. But I should say number one rule of this place was that I just wanted to build a hugely fun place. That, mm. That's the idea. I wanted to, to build a, a, a place for the good times, you know, yes. and um, an informal place where everybody is welcome, yes. where most people can afford it. And, um, you know, not everybody. Some people are doing it super hard in Australia. But, um, but it's, it's, it's as inexpensive as I could make it. Um, so as approachable as you can. Yeah, yeah. Just as good a value as you could make it when you've spent, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a fit out that's only going to be here for five months, which is absolutely insanity. But that is how it happened. That is insanity. Why does it have to be for... Is there a reason why the, there is just a limited time frame? Uh, it's just me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know how much more, how many more 19, 20-hour days, seven days a week I can handle, Cam. Mm. Um, mm. And it's been that way for a few months now as I've built this place, literally um, with the help of some really great people, but, but a lot of it by myself. And I was here, I think, for six weeks at the start of this 
by myself working on this site and this project was so massive like yeah. unless you saw this thing at the start you can't fathom how big a job this has been and so I could show you a photo and you'd be like well I didn't recognise that right yeah. there was nothing there it's just a shell and you built a kitchen and you built two bars and you yes. you built an indoor dining space an outdoor dining space and a pergola and you grew a lawn and you planted herb gardens and then you developed a menu and you hired all new staff and you got all the crockery and the cutlery and the equipment exactly. and put all that Every and you and you thing. and you found iPads. a whole bunch of secondhand stuff. You know, fourteen speakers. You know, uh, um, like on and on and on and on and on, and it just the cost never stopped. And uh, until today, when we opened the doors, thank goodness, finally. And we haven't really done. We haven't really told anybody about it much. You know, nobody knows anybody about it. You know, people are coming here for interviews and they're saying, "Oh, we tried to research about it." We couldn't find There's anything. Nothing. No, yeah, and yeah. I deliberately have kept it that way it's because very much on the down low. It is on the down low, and yeah, you know yeah. it's only going to be here for five months, so you, you yes. know better get in if you want to. Don't don't dilly dally, but mm. at the same time, um, at the moment we're just limiting a little bit as we find our feet because it's very very hard opening a new restaurant with a completely new team. It's not mm. like the Attica team is here. Yes, the Attica team is running Attica. Yeah. Uh, I'm here and Kylie's here and uh, and and we have some great new talent here mm. and that's what's up. So five months. So that's uh, with my terrible arithmetic. So that's around about May. You're going to fin- finish in May or June? Something you're, like that. You're not going to do a winter here? Don't think so. No. Yeah. Um, who knows? You never say never, but it's very unlikely. Um, oh yeah, okay. Because there is. I need a damn holiday after this. Oh yeah. When you is know? a holiday? My God. If anyone deserves one, I got to say you do, buddy. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, I like working a lot. That's my main problem is that I just love projects and I love working. And, I, I mean, I don't view working in life as different anyway. I just like doing it every day and I like doing different stuff all the time mm. and I just find it wildly motivating. You know, like I just get off on it so hard. And yeah, I do, I do. Mm. And, like, you know, I showed you my hand-built bar, which has got, like... For those of you... Beautiful like, lamps on each side, by the way. Beautiful lamps. It looks right. a bit like an ice cream cart. Yes, um, it does very much. Got uh, sort of, um, you know, lining boards on the front of it that are all half round and they're individually painted, which was just the biggest nightmare. Never paint boards that have cur- with a curve on them individually, different colours. Mm. And it's got a matching canopy made out of canvas and <coughs> it makes the it makes the freezing, you know. Yes. No, no one drink in Victoria this summer. <laughs> Friesling, <laughs> folks. Let's see how many people are making Friesling um, yeah. by the end of the year. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. One of the things that smacked me in the head, as well as Hasselback potatoes, because I thought, hey, the Hasselback is back, was also a Negroni Tim Tam, which is part of your incredible dessert trolley. Well, you know, we have some really great friends at Four Pillars in Hillsville who make amazing gin. And mm. look, I've got to say that Cam McKenzie from Four Pillars, just absolute legend of a bloke. I don't know if you've ever met him, but fascinating guy, fascinating story. You should have him on the show. He was on the show a while ago when he won the best gin. Of course yeah. he was already on the show. Yeah, yeah. What am I saying? Yeah, yeah but he um, said, finally, I'm on your show. But, but if it was not for Cam, uh, there'd be no Attica summer camp. And it's really as simple as that. Why? Well, um, sorry, why? Cam's a really influ- in, influential guy, enthusiastic in, in the Yarra and, Valley yep. and in you know the country, and yeah, incredibly enthusiastic, incredibly mm. kind. And uh, look, for a while, 
because of a bit of red tape that we were, it was all going to fall over and we were going to lose significant investment that we'd put into the place. And Cam, really? Cam was uh, pretty incensed by that and um, wouldn't let it happen. So thank you, Cam. Thank yeah. you, Four Pillars. So anyway, well, so he, 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 he smoked the, the, the tape of bureaucracy? Or? Yeah, he totally did, yeah. Good yeah. boy. Yeah. And, um, bureaucracy smoter. Yeah, and look, you know, um, and look, no, nothing um, untoward, like just at COVID times. And thankfully, you know, I've got to say, like, you know, I think the old BCGLR get a bit of a um, bit of a bad Oh, the Victorian uh, liquor licensing. Um, oh, those guys, yes. Yeah, yes. they get a bit of a bad, bad, bad rap. We found them mm. to be fantastic during COVID. You know, and especially when you've got an advocate like Cam in your corner. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, and so um, so anyway, we were able to bring this thing together thanks to him and thanks to Mac um, and mm. thanks to Kylie and um, and uh, here we are. And it's um, you know the idea is that it's the antidote to that absolutely terribly long hard year from last year. And I just wanted to make something that was immense fun. With a pumping playlist, loud and noisy, and uh, don't talk about the view. That's a surprise. Don't talk about the dessert trolley. That's that's a big surprise. Negroni Tim Tam. We've just given one thing away. Oh, that that is quite delicious. <coughs> Even if you don't want dessert, you should have a Negroni. That'd be nice. Four pillars gin in it. Four pillars marmalade as well in, yeah. in that Tim Tam. But if uh, but if four pillars, uh, they're getting a bit of a promotion on the show. Um, deservedly the so. The chocolate has got four pillars in it. Really? And even the salt has got four pillars yeah. in it. Oh, my God. So the, the menu the is, is simple. You can get things like you can get a chicken from the rotisserie cooked on beautiful Australian charcoal. Yes. Uptown charcoal. There's the Pom Hasselback. There's, um, Which is also cooked on the rotisserie. Yes. It's skewered. I saw that. Yeah, that was, that was new. Yes. Hard work, man. Ambitious rotisserie cooking, I could, we should call it, I think. I, I wasn't expecting to see those Hasselbacks spin it around, shall we say. But there's also cauliflower. That What was the on cauliflower the, resting on? I saw one of those go out. It's on kind of like a green goddess sort of a sauce, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like a herby kind of uh, mayonnaise and mm. yogurt and flavoursome. Whole cauliflowers are... Um, Cooked over charcoal in the rotisserie, um, as well as uh, onions with excellent blue cheese, as well as really good lamb shoulder with native thyme uh, for a really long time. Um, There's cures of buru, kangaroo. um, What else is there? There's a whole flounder cooked over coal, charcoal. um, Yeah, that's the one fish. Yep, the one fish. Uh, fish. There was the abalone cooked over charcoal as well. A little little baby one. Mm. Um, Yeah, my mouth watered when I saw that. Oh, there's so many things. Yeah, um, the it's a else. big menu, actually. A very big menu. There's a couple it of very is. simple soups. There's a bloody good piece of bread. Really? Bloody good. Can. Bloody good? Yeah, we make Mate. it here. Focaccia. Oh. And then we serve that with a, a selection of all kinds of things. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's smoked pastrami, pork pastrami coming hot off the smoker. Yeah. There's smoked salmon coming off the smoker each day. Um, you know, there's, it's a, there's a lot going on. There's a, you and know, chips, the chips, we make them, we cut them ourselves here from, hey. you know, from the best potatoes in the world, Cam. God, you, are, you are really are going, but wait, there's more. Oh, yes, there is. This is, <laughs> and this is just an advertisement for my new restaurant. Yeah, no, I love it. But also, as we were saying, a thumping good playlist because uh, oh, yeah. there's many things that Ben loves in his life and one of the big things is good kick-ass music. What happens in Glen Iron? How do you see the future of, of Attica while you do this? Well, at the, or at is the this moment, maybe you drawing breath just to find out? No, I think at the moment um, Attica is, you know, it's it's uh, it's opening to about it half occupancy. That's occupancy. right. Yeah. So we're doing about half our capacity, just over half. Yes. Um, and that, I guess that's something that I feel like we can do in our sleep. 
really mm. not in our sleep but no. it, it's it's not complicated it's, and it's sort a, of muscle memory now well it is with the team that we have there um, who have been there for a very long time you know mm. Matt the head chef at Attica has been there almost nine years um, you know there's there's Paul who's been in the front of house for ten um, yes. you know there's there's Alice our restaurant manager who's been there for a, a good amount of time and and a, and a a whole supporting cast. In fact, there's almost too many people there um, to do those sorts of numbers. Um, yes. And so I just check in with them. But I need to be here because this is this is something that's challenging, you know, at the moment, and something mm. that needs to be this um, is the baby. yeah nurtured for five months. And this mm. is this is the thing that will save Attica, the restaurant in Melbourne as well. Correct. So this Attica's is this not is going to save itself doing doing you know sixty percent of its at the capacity. Um, a brilliant um, means to an end. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. Which always, any other interesting collaborations with um, artists and t-shirts and things? Because this this has been a, one of the really interesting things of lockdown is is your collabs with the artistic community. Oh well, you know, I, I, I don't want to give you know too much away. Oh really? scratching too too deep. But let's just say that um, Tony DeBars, DeBarsi from um, is a great friend from the Avalanches was having lunch here on friends and family on Sunday, and um, I was a bit nervous about my playlist. Um, ah, yes. and, and there is a set of turntables uh, that are just behind the door in the dining room there. So you know, you never know. Maybe yeah. I can. Oh, you never know. I don't, but I don't want to say anything. Yeah. Because, but maybe I'll put a little bit of pressure on the, one, the wonderful avalanches. I don't know. My, you know, those such great guys. Ugh. Hey, just come and play. Just come and have a, my, my whole pitch is, hey, just guys, come out come for lunch. Come out for yeah. lunch. Oh, by the way, Over see there. all those records yes. and those turntables. And go. Just feel free if you, you know, I mean, do yeah. work if you want to, you know. But um, then yeah. I've already told um, Adam Briggs that... Um, that he he's not allowed to come for lunch unless he plays some. Oh records. well, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That I was more direct with Adam. I'm yeah. being a little bit more coy, coy yeah. with Avalanche. You've, you've known him for a, a few, a little while now, oh, so you no, can just you know, just yeah, handle different people different ways. Well, this place is an amazing antidote to um, 2020, to the city. Um, if you want to find out about it, uh, bookings are online. You should book, although there is limited room if you want to try your luck. But I would book. I'd book. Yeah. I reckon if you're out here, it's definitely worth a crack, especially midweek. Mm. But um, but I think pretty soon, you know, we really haven't said anything much about it being mm. open, um, and there's pretty high demand mm. already. So, um, I can imagine hot ticket. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, there's this amazing pergola here. There's vines growing over it with yeah. like cushions on the grass and little tables, and yeah. you can have snacks and drinks under there. And I think it'd be a pretty awesome way to spend a Friday afternoon or something. You know. Especially we have a Friesling or two. Ben, thank you for your time. Thank you for inviting me up to have an early look at the place. I really do appreciate it. Good luck with it all, though. I don't think you'll need it. Thanks, Cam. Good on you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber... Hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. There we go. He's got his boat anchored. He's just walking up the beach. And I just waved to him and go, Seb, welcome to the beach shack, buddy. Um, hey. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good. How is your crossing? Actually, very mild, which is what we want. Yeah, it's not, not too choppy, which is, uh, is kind of nice. 
Seriously, Seb, it's uh, it's lovely for you to join us. Uh, you've been kind of busy with the uh, with the distillery down there in Detroit, aka Geelong. It's been. Um, I think we were we were chatting earlier in the week, Cam, mm. of the the need sometimes to to change gear, mm. and it's it's been you know it, it's been a busy start to the year with the as you say the the Anther Distillery open and. Grand shake of vodka out and about, and our first sort of special single barrel release of the Ned whiskey, and and this is time to just uh, put all that aside, really. Well, come on, and, up, come uh, on up here, Seb. Get over here, weekend. mate. I've got you. I've got the hammock organised where you can just, oh, you can just whack your ass in there and just just swing a little bit. Uh, but before you do, uh, one of the great things about the beach shack, as well as the barbecue that is always on is secondly, we have the magic esky. The esky that you lift the lid and wish upon a drink, and it is there. What would you like? Do you know what I'm going to have, Cam? And you might remember this one, because mm. it's a bit of a history day. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the esky and, and find a, a very frosty mug of deviled ale. <laughs> um, for those who don't know this yeah. glorious concoction, this was a recipe that uh, me and Cam found <laughs> in a 1864 book, and we thought that'll never work. Yeah, no, um, what, 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 we and it, and it has a, a specifically weird ingredient in it, which made no uh, sense until we tried it. It's so uh, it's it's a combination of of, of ale, yes. uh, a good a good heavy ale, yeah. Um, a little bit of, of sugar, some cayenne pepper, of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Um, fresh ginger. Yeah. Obviously. Mm. And then uh, a <laughs> heap of butter, buttered toast. Buttered toast. That's right. And then you leave that overnight and you strain out the toast and you <laughs> you get this frosty mug from the esky that tastes yeah. like liquid gingerbread. Oh, it's just, it, oh. It, was, it was such a revelation, wasn't it, Sid? It was uh, incredible. Yeah, it really was. And that was, uh, God, that's a few years ago now when we were lucky enough to be in Queen's Hall at uh, the State Library, one of the very, very first big public buildings. And we did a, what was it, 150 years of cocktails in, no, 150 years of Victorian history in five drinks. That's right. Yeah, it was yeah, good. Yeah, we did. Oh, it we was, did. It was uh, divine. Hey, look at this. I've just given you... Because I knew you were coming from the mainland and you probably just wanted to relax a bit. This could be the most amount of time I've ever allowed you on air. Look at Sid, 12.40 here at 3 FM. We've already done an intro and a little aside. Uh, hey, how's that Devil Dale tasting? Oh, Cam, mm. it's sensational. It's rich and refreshing. Mm. <laughs> but it is crazy. Um, Renee Paradise is looking across from me. Um, from the uh, the coconut wheels of steel that uh, we've been uh, doing the tunes from today, and um, she's saying that sounds crazy, but it is. It's amazing. A bit of the buttered toast adds to this glorious mouthfeel, and that bit of fat that went in there just like fat is flavour, but it makes the drink delicious, didn't it? Ah, uh, look, the, the thing, and, you know, the, the thing we found because I, I remember when we were exploring this to do this this mm. event and you know there's about a hundred people who got to join us there that night and it's still <laughs> you know it's still a highlight of any event i've ever done um, um yeah me too but we we just discovered all of these strange 
drinks using food, especially using, you know, toast and biscuit. I, I mean, I, I did one then, you know, with, with um, Shanabelle and the Vietnamese crew. We did one which was cider and butter chips. Did, did you biscuit. just say Shanabelle? Uh, I think that's the secret name for uh, yes, is, Mr. Son. Bennett, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, Shanabelle. <laughs> he, he of Byron Bay now. Yes, anyway, so Shanabelle and the, uh, and the crew there up at uh, that glorious bar that you were on the... What floor was that again? It was pretty high 50, up. 57, I think. Yeah, that's right. The Louis Bar. Was, yeah, yeah, that was the one. Yeah, what were you doing there? So it was, yeah, ship, ship buttered ship's biscuit mm. melted into cider with sweet cherry and, and honey. And mm. um, again, just... <laughs> surprising exceptional it was uh, you know weird i mean it you know it was also great because they then went they they made the ship's biscuit for us so that's also quite fun mm. to sort of and you, you sort of have that moment of go oh that's why a water cracker is called a water cracker it's, oh. it's got to actually needs to be softened in water before you can eat it Yes, unless you want to unless you want to yeah. cha- challenge your dentures but yeah it's one of those <laughs> things that just Sounds marvellously ludicrous, but is awesome. And if we look at a tale of a white spirit that, uh, well, you know, was uh, went into almost exile because of uh, the amount of drunkenness that it occurred uh, with the impoverished society to, well, uh, the toast of Australian distillers and it just powers on. And, of course, we're speaking of that drink with so many botanicals called gin, and it's, you know, you know, it's a it's a drink I love, and I, you know, I came to gin from cocktails. As, as that, you find that the cocktails you love more and more are the cocktails, you know, that have got gin, and they're from that. For me, anyway, that era in the twenties and thirties, and from the nineteen twenties and thirties, the beautiful prohibition era that shows that if you try to ban drugs. Maybe it doesn't doesn't really work that well, but in this case, it became a marvelous time of uh, secret drinking and great creativity. And it's that thing that you know that was that first sort of beautiful cocktail boom of gin, and we're sort of going through another a hundred years later. But the gin and history obviously goes back further, and I know nowadays people are a bit more familiar with it, and sort of coming out of Holland, where it was you know Geneva. Mm. It was, you know, first developed as a, as a medicinal sort of liver tonic and then, obviously... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Is that what the boys from marketing are saying? <laughs> yeah, sorry, go on. The, the category we call cause and cure is the... <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that was, what you know, doesn't kill me makes know? me stronger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the one. And, yeah. You know, obviously then when England ran out of royalty, they, they imported... Um, you know, some Dutch kings, and they brought the, the juniper or the Geneva with them, and then it sort of became, uh, you know, gin, and it became horrendously cheap. And it was, I think, your your favourite way of describing it, Cam, is, is the crack cocaine of the oh, sort yes. of 1600s. Yes, you know, it was, yes. It was very it, it was damaging. An, it was an ice epidemic before they'd uh, <laughs> learned how to make ice commercially. And it was appalling stuff. I mean, they used to use a lot of, uh, like, leaves of turpentine, which is not what you see at the hardware store. No. Well, turpentine, that's something called mineral turpentine. This is, yes. But this is botanical turpentine, which does 
smell delicious, but it is, you know, a little bit poisony. And um, they poisony. used to drink it. I mean, this is a drink from the 1600s. They would, they would get citrus when it was available, mm. a little bit of sugar, hot gin, and they'd mix in mercury. All right. You know? And you're like, oh, my God. You know, it was what? not enough that what? the gin was probably poisonous with, you know, with, with turpentine, but then you'd stir some mercury in. Why do you so put, was, why did the, what was the thought of the mercury? Why would you put that in? Well, no one who was a, a, a drinker of it has lived to remind us. Right. <laughs> so we, we don't know, but it's, you know, there's a lot of those very strange sort of rituals that came out of that era in the 1600s. But then, you know, gin went through a, um, you know, that same process that, that suburbs go through, and it was gentrified, mm. you know, through the 17 and 1800s. And that's where... Um, we start to see good gin and, and the, the gin styles, that sort of true London dry style that we love today sort of comes out of that era. But also can, I, can I actually put to you, Seb, that yeah. it was, um, it was uh, the good doctor who, first of all, made Angostura and then the second, the discovery of queening, uh, which was part of the rehabilitation of the drink? Oh, definitely. Hmm. And for those who love a gin and tonic... Yes, Tonic water yes. invented by Dr. Schweppes to deliver the, the quinine, you know, for, for treatment of malaria. A delivery system, as a cigarette right. is a nicotine and, delivery system, yes. And, and quinine tastes appalling. Yeah. So, you know, tonic water at the time was like, okay, this is about as good as we can make it taste, <laughs> but it's still a bit shit. Yes. And so... So what the world did, they added gin to tonic to make the tonic bearable. Yeah. So it was, it's a re total reverse. It was never about making the gin taste good. It was about how much gin do I need to actually get this medicine down. And, and can I add yeah. something about that, is the fact that it was always an insane misnomer because, in fact, to in order to get the right amount of quinine to have a halo effect on, uh, on malaria, I think you have to have about 300 gin and tonics a day? Uh, at least. At least. I mean, which, which, so I'm pretty protected. I'll, I'll just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Mosquitoes are frightened of this one. Yes. <laughs> but, the, um, you know, but it is that, that intersection of the, the medicine and, and as you say, that was a big part of the gentrification. Mm. And and I want I want to sort of talk about this one, Cam. It's the early 1800s. There's, there's there's Robert Cooper who owns a distillery in London in in, in a street called Juniper Lane. He also owns a wow. couple of pubs. He's very um, successful, and he gets convicted of. Um, receiving stolen goods, which in this case was ostrich feathers and silk. No. So he, he goes to court, yeah. and his defence, quite unique at the time, is to say, look, they weren't stolen. Mm. I was just smuggling them. And in my defence, I put to you these three character witnesses who can attest to other smuggling endeavours that I have been involved in. What? How was how did that how did that fly and how was that even possible as a defence? Well, this at the point where the judge said, "Look, look, it's a novel defence." In all my years, yes, and, and, and a defence that says that the existence of another crime is defence against the crime to which you're charged means, in my opinion, that you are guilty of a crime. Yeah, and so guilty as charged, yeah. and he was 
he was deported. Yeah, nice try, buddy, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> he was deported to Australia and very quickly uh, given a pardon. Yeah. Um, You're our kind of bloke, they said. That's right. And <laughs> he, of course, went to set up the first legal distillery in New South Wales, um, not far from what today is sort of Taylor Square. Mm. And in Paddington, he built for himself a, a mansion called Juniper Hall. So built in 1825 and still there. And that was sort of paid for by selling gin out what, of the what first commercial you, distillery. What, what uh, approximate era or year is this? Uh, 1817 through to about 18, yeah, 1830, I think, gotcha. when he sort of got out of the distilling part. But by 1825, Robert Cooper's gin, which is what it was sort of called, um, yeah, it was was the num you know that was the gin you drank in New South Wales. It was the one that was available, and you know this is eighteen twenties. You know, so it probably wasn't going into a um, a Negroni or a Martini. No, um, mostly because they hadn't been invented yet. But, yes. <laughs> but gin was there, you know, right from the very start. Indeed, know, he was also look. He was also making brandies and whiskies and. Um, basically anything that the, the colony needed. So no doubt some form of rum would have been being produced. No wonder but he got to build a mansion. Seb, just to let people know, we are listening to 3RRR. We'll be back with Sebastian Rayborn from Antha after this. This is a podcast from RRR, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. RRR is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. In the uh, beach shack hammock with uh, a beautiful Devil Dale in his hand as he thinks about how crazy it is that toast and butter could make a drink taste so good. We have Sebastian Rayborn. Howdy, buddy. Hello. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm loving the hammock. Yeah. In a good, in a good cool breeze. Cool breeze. You're in the shade. How's that drink going? You okay? It's, it's actually, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting close. I'm getting mm-hmm. close to the end. So I think... Uh, oh, you can stick your okay. hand back in that magic esky and pull out a Sazerac, if you like, or maybe a beer or maybe even just a coconut water just to rehydrate yourself because that's one oh, of yeah, the finest rehydrating drinks on God's green earth. Gin. And we were also, talking about Sydney. Sorry. Uh, yeah, go on. We were. We were, we were in Sydney. And I remember... You know, one of the things I love about your beach shack, Cam, is that yeah. when we, the when we job? get together, well, when we get together to talk, <laughs> you know, we've normally got, you know, we've got a few things we need to say and we've got, mm. you know, a little, little window to sort of say it in. And yeah. sometimes it means you, you miss out on the stuff that you love. And it's it's been nice as a bit of a reminder that this, this history of, booze in Australia, like, it's just really fascinating. And it's it's quite weird and quite wonderful. And I want to I wanna digress a little, Cam. Please, I mean, you're, is, you're in the right the spot for it. You're in the right spot. Come on. Over the, over the break, I was very lucky to get given, as, as a gift, the, um, the new book from Max Allen, um, 
so intoxicating. So the sort of history of Australia in 10 drinks. Great book. And we had him on and spoke to him about that, yes. Just sensational. You know, he, he, he has a love of history and a love of things to drink, and he also has a tremendous respect for all the sort of elements of it. And it, you know, this weekend is a good time to put it out there to address our, shall we say, um, conflicted relationship with our own country. Whoa. Because I'm with you, brother. We do. Yeah, we do. no, I'm, you know, I'm we, with we, you. I'm just, you know? I, didn't, I didn't expect that turn, but I, I do have to say I agree with you, and especially when we have a prime minister who is, seems to be fairly ignorant of history, dare I say, 11, well, 11 ships in the First Fleet, Cook's circumnavigation of Australia, and the fact that when he said there was no slavery in Australia. Just oh, something to think about. But yes, I agree with you. And, and I would love, I think he needs to have a bit of a read of Max Allen's book. But oh, that might help. Bring Someone it up, should send him one. The reason I bring it up. Yes. Alcohol and Australia. Yeah was yeah. a little bit of a propaganda. Oh, okay. In what way? Because there is a mythology that every civilization has a form of alcohol. Mm. And whether or not that's true is, you know, up to everyone's sort of choice in the matter. Yeah. But the, the mythology that was used in Australia was that because there was no indigenous alcohol, <gasps> yes, therefore, yes. I get you now. Yep. You know, then, then it, you know, it sort of follows that the, you know, this isn't a civilized culture. This gets and back to the terra nullius um, argument and uh, and people just wandering around, not doing much. And I think the the way that Max Allen has researched and spoken to so many different Indigenous groups about the early alcoholic beverages of Australia. And shattered that myth, yes. And, and really blown it up, mm, yeah. you know, and, and to, to really say, and this is, again, why, you know, it's so nice to be in the beach shack. Yeah. Because there was also quite a lot of alcohol trade going on. Yeah. Because there was a lot of fermented beverages in Australia that are fermenting lots of different uh, nectars from flowers. So obviously the, the cider gums, you know, with the fermented um, sap of the trees uh, down in Tassie, which is, you know, just incredible. But they were, also, they were also trading what we think is the world's first distilled spirit. Now, this, this comes from sort of, you know, Indonesia, Philippines, that sort of part of Southeast Asia. This is what it's we're talking about, of, the, the Iraqs. That's it. It's coconut water. Yeah. And it was that they had stills that they used coconut shell and bamboo to distill the, the fermented coconut water into a spirit. And mm. there's a lot of evidence that this was traded right through the Torres Strait, you know, going back, you know, tens of thousands of years. <laughs> and so, you know, that story that the, the first... You know, the first spirits in Australia sort of arrived with the first fleet thing, um, probably Cachaça out of, you know, out of Brazil. Well, not really true. You know, there was already this sort of thriving, you know, economy of the sort of the annual, you know, trade up through the Torres Strait yeah. into Southeast Asia. And so I think, well, I mean, I love the fact that by taking a bit of space to look at those drinks and to 
blow that myth up a little bit, you know, and to say, I think now, and this is where it comes back to Jim Cam, I think we have to find ways that we can be really proud of our country and the work that gin distillers are doing engaging with lots of different indigenous groups around australian grown and australian native plants and botanicals mm. it's actually wonderful um obviously green ant gin you know with the something wild group and that's you know daniel mollick over there in south australia you know who sells all sorts of you know plants botanicals foods you know, he does heaps of work with that. And, you know, it's showcasing a part of Australia that is just so unique and, and so wonderful. And so, you know, as a gin distiller, I've been so privileged to meet people and talk to people and, and taste things. And it wasn't until I was reading the way that Max Allen covered this because I want to, you know, I just want to call out the beautiful sort of respect that he brought to it. And I want to say to everyone over this challenging weekend that we can enjoy something that's uniquely Australian and we can embrace it. And as long as we are respectful about it, probably, you know, don't necessarily do it on Tuesday, but it's Sunday today. Yeah. And it's a great day to have a drink of something Australian and we've got a tremendous history of flavouring and fermenting and distilling our plants that goes back tens of thousands of years and long may it rain. Damn right. So. Well, I think we uh, we need to get you back to that uh, that magic esky and um, I think we need another drink and maybe we need to uh, fire up the barbie and maybe do a little bit of uh, lunchtime. You, you good to stay for lunch? Oh, Cam. Love to. Yeah, well, the tide's still pretty good. Uh, you have been listening to the Beach Shack here. We're going to do one more of these uh, until... Well, we're doing one more for, for January. But, Seb, that was, um, that was great, mate. Um, and I didn't expect you to go there. And uh, what's the name of Max's book again? Intoxicating Australia in 10 drinks, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, a very, very worthwhile read. Uh, we're going to have to leave the beach shack on the radio, but uh, Seb, Seb, Renee and I, we're going to spin some discs and dance around on the beach and have a little bit of lunch and uh, have a great time. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 